And they're training you from the age of four or five to, to get prepared for a lifetime of servitude in a system where they'll give you a certain uh, amount of limitations according to your abilities or lack of, uh, and you go into a work routine right from school. That's a training system. It's not a natural system, remember. It simply didn't just uh, evolve by itself. It was a, a created system. Before that, natural peoples they were into agriculture on the land, and they would get up with the sun. They didn't think of work as work. It was just something you did, you had to do. And I'll be back with more on this topic after these messages. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just kicking off by mentioning how we're brought up. And I've mentioned so many times before that in the mammal world, the entire mammal world, and people are no different, we're mammals. If an adult doesn't know to warn you of a potential enemy or danger, then you'll grow up thinking that everything is quite natural. And every generation does. never occurs to them that it could be anything unnatural about the system they're in. That's exactly what great minds in past ages have thought about that very, very problem, if it is a problem, and how, in fact, you can use it to your advantage if you run the system. You have everyone thinking the same thing, right from the scratch, every generation, and just like adults of, of a different age group, the adults will knock ideas around amongst, amongst each other, they'll, they'll punch them off each other, and get the feedback from their peer group. If their peer group answers the same way, they think they're quite normal. Well, so does every single generation. It never occurs to them that they're born into an artificial system. Lenin talked about this in much more detail because the Soviet system, or the Marxist system, was really designed to be an ongoing revolution where man would go through forced evolutions of a society into a type of Superman. That was the big idea they kicked around at the time amongst all the eugenical societies and the Darwinist societies would all, would all stem from Darwinism, uh, that they could create a new type of human being, a master race, the same thing that Hitler picked up upon, and, uh, and create authors like Bernard Shaw that was the founder of the Fabian Society, wrote uh, a book called Man and Superman. So Hitler didn't come up with the idea, neither did the Soviets. It stemmed actually from England, from London. And the Fabian Society and the societies that were joined to the Fabian Society, that's just one little group or specialized group of the Royal Institute for International Affairs or the Council on Foreign Relations, as it's called in the USA. Therefore, they could, if you understood how Societies supposedly evolve by understanding nature, the old mystery religion, as they often coined it in ancient times, then you could literally force through a, a fast evolution, bypass stages if possible, into this new totalitarian type of society. And they claimed it would have to be totalitarian, a world full of order, order where the citizens wouldn't mind having no freedoms or liberties 
and how they work to serve their state and eventually a world state. And you just think, as I say, back to your schooling, when you think about it, you're thrown into uh, mixing with people you might never see again once you leave school. You don't make that many friends at school, uh, at least ones that last for your lifetime, because everyone moves around. And you're doing an 8 till till 5 or 9 o'clock till 4 shift, basically. That's what schooling is. It's a shift to train you into the same system, which is artificial, an artificial system of working X amount of hours per day and coming home in the evening and maybe having the weekend off. That's what it's really designed for. Apart from that, it helps to give you, again, uh, it bolsters this idea you have taken on from your parents who thought the system was natural. It bolsters that, it augments it, reinforces it, and most people never in their entire lives consider could there be any other way of living. And yet when you go back to say only a few hundred years, not long ago in some countries, you find that most people lived on the land. Even in America and the U.S., before the Great Depression, the vast amount of people lived on the land and few in the cities. After the Depression, it was reversed, completely reversed, the figures. And when you live on the land, especially when you don't have all these massive taxes and all the rest of it, and regulations and bureaucracies and departments coming down on your neck and licensing fees and all the rest of it, you could certainly flourish and survive. You didn't have to be terribly rich either because that wasn't the name of the game. Living was the name of the game. And being self-sufficient as possible was very important. But self-sufficiency, of course, is an enemy of a world totalitarian state. That's why they're bringing in a system of interdependence, which really means you're completely dependent on the system for anything that you need to live. That's what it truly means. And their idea is that if you're totally bound to the system of interdependence, both nationally, internationally, and individually, then you can't possibly go off in any other direction to survive. You must be in their system. That's what it amounts to. A totalitarian system. And you go into the writings of Nietzsche and other people of that era that that took up the, the Darwin cause and went further with it into the Superman idea and basically dethroned God. As I say, God used to be an old idea that people had in some countries that there was something there, something beyond themselves. Every people on the planet have felt something out there beyond themselves. And probably the American Indian was to be the most, in its most simplistic fashion without uh, creating a great theology about it, and priesthoods, the American Indian simply called it the Great Spirit, something outside of yourself that once in a while kind of touched you or, or, or almost brushed past you. And that's as far as, as they dared take it, which is probably the logical thing to do. Whereas other cultures had taken upon this idea and invented priesthoods that then dominated the public. And even in Christianity, they follow a founder, basically, whose main idea was to go against the priests and tell the public he didn't need them. He told people to go off and pray to their God by themselves. They didn't need a priest. That was a a revolutionary idea at the time. And of course it didn't last long because power and politics and money 
combined to to use this as a as a tool to suppress and control people once more. It's, it always goes this way. And unfortunately, within human nature, there's this incredible need to worship a human being that walks around the planet dressed in wealthy clothes and, and uh, has rings dangling from their fingers, etc. Wealth and riches, material success um, goes together. They don't want a beggar to tell them anything that's profound. And yet the same beggar dressed up in fancy clothes and given a week's of promotion by the best media and PR people on the planet, and you'd find everybody would turn up to, to hear this genius talking at the biggest hall in the world. I think there was a book called Straight and Crooked Thinking that went through that whole technique where the soapbox um, speaker giving you his philosophy is basically laughed at with cabbages thrown at him uh, but you dress him up in fancy clothes and give him the PR and everybody will turn up that's how you make stars in the culture industry in fact you can pick anybody and make them an actor, an actress or a singer or whatever you wish it's all done by the people behind the scenes the culture creation industry and it's no different in the political world she was massive in the political world. You'll never know the real person that you vote for. Never, ever. You get all these different fake images about them. And it's in- incredible how they can take someone, for instance, like Obama, use the techniques that he used before on previous uh, presidents many years ago, and use that same uh, technique of creating the personality cult. Uh, and almost deifying the person, and then giving write-ups in magazines about his family life and all that. This is all made-up stuff. All made-up stuff. But it works very well with the public who never question it. And as long as people are willing to worship money, power, the wealth that goes with it, they'll always be in the mess they're in. I remember reading a book on the Rockefellers, and it was after after Rockefeller, old man Rockefeller, had got the militia and the police to machine gun the tents that the miners who were on strike were living in, and they mowed down their families. Uh, and they, they brought in a man called Gates, and I'm sure he's related to the present uh, popular Gates, and another man who was scheduled to be the Prime Minister of Canada. That was his reward, in fact. They both created the image of a a philanthropist, a, a benefactor to society. That was her job. They came in and created that whole new persona through the media. And this author said the most disgusting thing to see was the, this murderer, Mr. Rockefeller, being photographed inside miners' houses and watched the miners suddenly grovel in the presence of power and money. That's what they do. It's a sad statement on society because that's responsible for most of our ills, that attitude. We are abused. The system we live in is an abusive system. And it's no different than, I call it the Nazi system or the Soviet system. They're both the same to me. As far as I'm concerned, they're both socialist systems. And when people were turning up at the Nuremberg trial and giving evidence, those around Hitler who'd been used to him 
still deified him. They deified him as a god. Because in pseudo-masochistic systems, those at the top only appreciate the more powerful than themselves. They deify them. And they despise the weaker down beneath them. And the lower down the ranks you are, the more they despise you until you come to the ordinary people. That was the same in the Soviet system. When Stalin died, they put his corpse on, on, on view. And thousands and thousands of people for about a week or two prayed around this coffin and cried and got on their knees because the man was a god to them. That's what people want. That's what they worship. Power. Merciless power. Back with more after these messages. through the matrix just discussing what people really want what they want is what they worship and generally it's mammon itself and power and it makes you wonder really if they bring on what they what they get ultimately collectively as I say Nietzsche said himself that how you'd react as a society a civilization if you believed in a God that gave you rights, it would be completely different in a society when there was no God. Because if there was no God, there's no rights. Rights would all obviously be what the big man who ruled your country said they'd be. And it's a simple thing to say, but it's a very profound thing to take over in your mind to all the different avenues it goes into. Because that's the society we're living in today where the state is, is really raising its head as a supreme master of the universe, and it's the world state. And they've given us more than enough clues and hints and straight instructions that they're now in charge and will tolerate nothing else than utter, complete obedience. And the public moan and groan and take it Because they don't know what else to do. This is the only system they've known. They're scared of trying any other system. And there's old saying, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. At least it's safer, you think. But is it safer at all? Because we're in a system now that is openly talking about depopulation. It's not just talking about it, it's implementing it. And we see the effects physically around the world on people with aging diseases now being, being coming on on the onsets, and young people, aging diseases, total allergy system, uh, syndromes, massive diabetes because of all the artificial sugars now that are in everything. The body can't cope with them, or the oils too, that they're all being taught to cook with. It's happening, but the people will moan and groan about it. Today I was reading from the Telegraph, and from the Telegraph is a, a link called Dig. It's the dig.com, where you can see the photographs, some of the photographs of the rapings that have been going on at places like Abu Ghraib. It's no, it's no wonder that Obama said that he decided to withhold these from the general public because it wouldn't be in the U.S.'s interest and they give ammunition to their enemies abroad. 
Well, no kidding. Where you see male and female prisoners being raped by U.S. troops. Using barbed wire and glowing neon bulbs and all kinds of things like batons and stuff. The stuff that turns on the real sadomasochist and there's lots of them out there. This is the world that's been projected abroad. This is the civilization that we're supposed to teach them in these countries to follow this, this civilization. And in the history of the world, something is corrupt as this system cannot stand eventually. It cannot stand. Because the corruption that shows so blatantly at the bottom is a mere reflection of the incredible corruption at the top that is standard in history. And at the top, they know this themselves. And that's why they've got a system set up to deal with every individual on the planet because they're terrified of the people right now. Terrified. That's why every phone call, every radio show, every email is being monitored across the world. Not for someone from another country who's got a beef against a country, another country. No, it's to make sure that every citizen is predictable. And eventually, if you start getting strange ideas about being unhappy and what's causing the problem, you'll have knocks on your door and you'll be whisked off to see psychiatrists and forcibly medicated until you get back to right think. Because they are going to go all of this way, all this way, all the way through. It's all set up already. You don't need a crystal ball to guess about this. It's all in front of you. All of it. And there's nothing but news articles every day on more and more and more of this stuff, of what's coming down the pike. Talking about um, the modifying food, the modified food, I've been on about that for a, a week or so. Because of the incredible health effects it's had on the public so far which are self-evident to those at the top. They know darn well what's causing the massive obesity. And they replaced everything that used to be used in cooking, such as butter with uh, modified oils, etc. And the body can't cope with them. They can't digest them. And fat gets laid down that simply is a different kind of fat that cannot be reabsorbed and reused and broken down by the body. It just piles on. They know all this stuff at the top. And when you see all the different things that they're up to, like creating those, those animals in Japan that glowed in the dark, that can now have offspring that glow in the dark, and see how far ahead they really are advanced, do you think they don't know what they're doing with your food? Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
time Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix. One of the topics I'm talking about right now is Monsanto and how, how really it's like Bill Gates in a sense and like Rothschilds and like other big front companies that make the, the chip that's going to be implanted in everyone. These are all part of a, a military-industrial complex because in the Cold War, it was stated over and over, those with the highest technology would win the war. Therefore, technology had to be under the control of those who fought the war. Therefore, they created them in the first place, the front companies, real companies, genuine companies. They're really parts of the military-industrial complex. And when you look back, even as far as the Rothschilds, anyone who truly believes that one man can walk into a country and take over its central bank and get to walk the streets of London needs to get their head looked at because it took a powerful organization to protect a man like that, organization that was already in existence to make it happen. And it's the same with Bill Gates, who was well known for, I would say, borrowing the patents of other people, and there wasn't a court in the land would touch him, and the way was cleared for him to move straight up through. That takes incredible money and power from the top. And the same with Monsanto, where every judge across Canada, now it will say to you if you get something in your field that belongs to them, even if a, and they'll say this too, this came up in a case in Canada, the judge said, I don't care if a bird pooped it into your field that belongs to them and you own their property, you then pay the fine and you pay Monsanto. What kind of power opens the way for this to happen across the planet? Think about it. It's not just a private business. Here's an article from, about, uh, it's actually from Institute for Responsible Technology uh, fighting in the field. Monsanto's uphill battle in Germany. And it's about a guy who's a factory worker at a BMW plant who works in the evening and at the weekends with his, and his apiary, his, his bees. It says, Bablock, an amateur beekeeper and skilled handyman, spends much of his free time here repairing the apiary in the winter and making honey in the summer. The Aprius where Bablocks recharges has batteries. The place he goes to store up energy he needs for everyday life for his job at the BMW plant's training workshops. The Apri was supposed to be a very private place far away from work and most of all far away from the public. But the Apri and his honey produces uh, there are no longer private. His honey now at the center is at the center of a dispute being staged in German courts and observed and influenced by both politicians and the media, and has drawn Bablock, a man who just wanted his peace and quiet, into one of Germany's major ideological debates, a battle that's been waged for years in the courts, in the political arena, and in the fields with words, scientific studies, and sometimes fists. On one side of the battle are the genetic engineering companies, and in particular, U.S. corporation Monsanto, the world's largest producer of seeds, which practically holds a monopoly on genetically modified GM plants. Monsanto produces the only modified plant approved for use in commercial farming in Germany, a corn variety that is used for animal feed. Not only that itself, you see animal feed gets passed on to humans. The primary benefit of the plant called Mon810 is that it produces a toxin that allows it to fight off one of its enemies, 
the voracious larvae of a moth. On other side stands Monsanto's many adversaries, a heterogeneous alliance that brings together organic farmers, anti-capitalist activists, churches and politicians with conservative Christian, Christian social union, the Bavarian sister party to Chancellor Angela Merkel's Christian Democrats. It turns out that um, his, hun- his bees ended up taking the pollen from the trial crops that the German government had allowed Monsanto to, to plant in. And once this stuff turned up in his honey, their genes, you see these modified genes were in his honey, uh, the government forbid him to sell his honey. That's how the whole darn thing started. That's happened elsewhere in the world too. And this story goes right through the fight that they're putting up to to try and stave off where, where Monsanto is going with this because they won't be happy till all the other farmers are out of business and the, the beekeepers and everyone else. And that is the agenda, by the way, because if you look at this, the total Soviet socialist ideology and the, the member to the Fabian Society was just another backdoor method of getting in socialism, world socialism, by gradually taking over government, expanding departments of government with more authority until they were totally in charge, then when you see where it's all supposed to go, uh, there's going to be one, one food company ultimately that will run the entire world's food supply. That was the old socialist idea. One bank to run all of the world's currency. That's already happening right now. One of everything. That's the idea. This is an interesting article to look into. And uh, there's also an interesting article here from MSNBC, and this is U.S. military heavily armed and medicated. Prescription pill dependency among American troops is on the rise. It says, um, and deploying an all-volunteer army to fight two ongoing wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. By the way, they've just announced the U.S. is staying another 10 years minimum in Iraq. I think. It says, uh, the Pentagon has increasingly relied on prescription drugs to keep its warriors on the front lines. It says, uh, Marine Corporal Michael Cataldi woke as he heard the truck rumble past. Opened his eyes but saw nothing. It was the middle of the night and he was face down in the sands of western Iraq. His loaded M16 was pinned beneath him. Cataldi had no idea how he'd gotten to where he now lay, some 200 meters from the dilapidated building where his buddy slept. But he suspected what had caused his nightmare. His clonopin prescription had run out. His ordeal was not all that remarkable for a person on that anti-anxiety medication. In the lengthy labeling that accompanies each prescription, clonopin users are warned against abruptly stopping the medicine, since doing so can cause psychosis, <laughs> hallucinations and other symptoms. These are very potent medications. What makes Cataldi's story extraordinary is that he was a U.S. Marine at war and that the drug's adverse effects endangered lives, his own, his fellow Marines, and the lives of any civilians unfortunate enough to cross his path. It put everyone within rifle distance at risk, he says. In deploying an all-volunteer army to fight two ongoing wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, well, they see they're mercenaries. I mean, they are mercenaries. They're not bright. You're not bright when you're young. No one's bright when you're young. You don't get brighter until you've been knocked a few times and you start learning what life's all about. So they're mercenaries at that age. 
as the Pentagon has increasingly relied on prescription drugs to keep its warriors on the front lines. In recent years, the number of military prescriptions for antidepressants, sleeping pills and painkillers has risen as soldiers come home with battered bodies and troubled minds. And many of those service members are then sent back to war theatres in distant lands with bottles of medication to fortify them. According to data from U.S. Army Mental Health Survey released last year, about 12% of soldiers in Iraq and 15% of those in Afghanistan reported taking antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications or sleeping pills. Prescriptions for painkillers have also skyrocketed. Data from the Department of Defense last fall showed that as of September 2007, prescriptions for narcotics for active duties troops had risen to almost 50,000 a month. Oh, boy. The army is stoned. The army is stoned. This is compared with about 33,000 a month in October 2003, not long after the Iraq war began. In other words, thousands of American fighters armed with the latest killing technology are taking prescription drugs that the Federal Aviation Administration considers too dangerous for commercial pilots. So, there you go. But then again, too, always remember, there's been many, many articles out from mainstream uh, military sources saying their idea is eventually to have uh, troops uh, interlaced with cyber technologies and medication. And that the force to experiment with those pills, which supposedly give the wipeout or give them a form of amnesia, so they won't remember killing or raping anybody, and they'll feel better about it afterwards. So really, when you join the military, you're a guinea pig, you see, and you're disposable. You're disposable, and you have no comeback in the military. You really have no comeback for what they do to you. There's an article here, again, from the, the DIG website. And it says here, it's, um, it says, this is about experiments on troops. It says, the stories are a staple of conspiracy culture, broken men suffering hallucinations and near total amnesia, who say they're victims of secret government mind control experiments. Think Liev Schreiber and the Manchurian candidate or Mel Gibson in conspiracy theory. Journalists are a favorite target for the paranoid delusions of this population. So is Gordon Erspammer. And the San Francisco lawyer's latest case isn't helping him to fend off the tinfoil hat crowd. He has filed suit against the CIA and the U.S. Army on behalf of the Vietnam veterans of America and six former American soldiers who claim they're the real thing. Survivors of classified government tests conducted at the Army's Edgewood Arsenal in Maryland between 1950 and 1975. I get a lot of calls, he says. There are a lot of crazy people out there who think that somebody from Mars is controlling their behavior via radio waves. But when it comes to Edgewood, I'm finding that more and more of these stories are true. Government scientists conducted human experiments at Edgewood is not in question. The program involving testing of nerve agents, nerve agent antidotes, psychochemicals, and irritants, according to a 1994 General Accounting Office, now the Government Accountability Office report, the PDF, and the, the PDF is here, by the way, so you've got to read it. So at least 7,800 U.S. servicemen served as laboratory rats or guinea pigs at Edgewood, alleges S. Palmer's complaint, filed in January in a federal district court in 
California. The Department of Veterans Affairs has reported that military scientists tested hundreds of chemicals and biological substances on them, including VX, Tabun, Soman, Sarin, Cyanide, LSD, PCP, and even World War I-era blister agents like phosgene and mustard. The full scope of the test, however, may never be known, as a CIA official explained to the GAO, referring to the agency's infamous MKUltra mind control experiments. The names of those involved in the tests are not available because names were not recorded or the records were subsequently destroyed. Besides, said the official, some of the tests involving LSD and other psychochemical drugs were administered to an undetermined number of people without their knowledge. Erspammer's plaintiffs claim that though they volunteered for the Edgewood program, they were never adequately informed of the potential risks and continue to, to, to suffer debilitating health effects as a result of the experiments. They hope to force the CIA and the Army to admit wrongdoing and former of the specific substances they were exposed to and provide access to subsidized health care to treat their Edgewood-related ailments. It goes on to talk about the fact that you, you can't really do much against the government because you, you volunteer when you join the army and you become private. You're privately owned, basically. That's what it really means. That's what a private soldier is. You're no longer a member of the public. You give up your rights as a member of the public. It's an interesting article. And it also goes into, on the PDF that I'll also put up on my site at the end of the show, it also goes into the different tests on the soldiers that took part in the Bikini Atoll uh, atom bomb tests. And for those out there, they should look into and find the old documentaries by the BBC who showed you uh, these troops, U.S. troops, that were doing a PR movie as a sort of advertising campaign for the military, and they had all these troops told to march towards literally the mushroom cloud of the bomb that had just been gone off. And um, they start off in the trenches. They put their forearm over their eyes. That's what they're told to do. And then march into this big mushroom cloud. And what really happened it was discussed in the documentary because then the guys with their complete suits on, you know, the, 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 their proper DU suits, came out and hushed them all back because there was such high radiation content and most of those die, guys died of cancer. And the survivors said that when they put their hands over their eyes to, to save their eyes, as they were told, they'd x-rayed them. They could actually see their bones of their forearms x-rayed with the light of the bomb. That's how, that's how they were treated. They knew that would happen. They knew the effects on the troops. And it, but in that same documentary, it showed you the Soviets doing the same thing. They talked to some of those survivors as well. So you've really had it, don't you? When your government's out to get you and use you as puppets and you're completely disposable, there's nothing much you can do about it. And there's nobody to complain to. Now I'll go to the phone calls now, and there's Glenn from Philly. Are you there, Glenn? Uh, good evening, Alan. Hi. Thanks for yes. letting call. Um, uh, first, I guess a couple things about the call-ins themselves. Uh, number one, I was wondering if you might consider allocating a little more time during the program for calls. Um, I know I waited about 40 minutes last, and I didn't get on about 45 tonight, and 
take it mm-hmm. on, so I do appreciate that. Uh, on one thing, one uh, suggestion for callers, and they're calling, um, uh, you know, that they not ask you how you're doing because uh, it, it wastes precious time. It makes it sound like they're a parent who can't, you know, suppress the culturally conditioned impulse to ask someone how they are. Yeah. And if you were that bad, you wouldn't be on the air. So, and besides, somebody else has usually asked it already. So, mm-hmm. um, also, suggestion about donations. Um, I myself have a tendency to wait until I'm feeling flushed with discretionary income before I send donations in. But what would be much more effective is, is I've suggested this before, I think, if thousands of people are listening, I recommend that people sign up for PayPal accounts at paypal.com. It's very dependable. Been using it for years to buy it from all Internet vendors. It's very safe. Sign up for a PayPal account. It's very easy. And then even if you can donate $3 a month or $5 a month or something like that via PayPal, and if several hundred people did that, it would do a lot to help you mitigate your costs. Yeah. So it's not you don't need, you don't need ten people sending in a thousand bucks. You need four thousand people sending you five bucks. Yeah. And so I'd really recommend that people sign up for PayPal and donate to you that way. And don't wait till you're feeling flushed. You, you know, even if you're not, send three dollars or whatever. It'll it it will add up. Mm-hmm. Oh, it does. Um, the small yeah. ones add up. There's enough people that certainly it would certainly add up. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing I was going to mention is last night you mentioned uh, the Quaker Oats thing and how the Quaker Oats are never, you know, Quaker. But it made me think about something about the Quakers. There's an, a great irony in the fact that uh, President Obama, who's commander-in-chief of the um, most far-flung and heavily funded military in human history, sends his daughters to a Quaker school, yeah. an exclusive Quaker school, which is ostensibly a uh, pacifist organization. That's rather ironic. Yeah, I know. But a lot of them came from those schools. I'll be back with more after these messages. I'm Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. But thinking about the Quakers, too, you know, when you look into some of these societies, such as the Unitarians, the Quakers, and a few other ones, they were heavily involved in creating people who became revolutionaries. In fact, Obama's mother was one of them. Uh, she was brought up, up in, I think, one of the Unitarian groups. And uh, so many came out of uh, the Unitarians that were in for world, um, a sort of world communistic society, a world communist order, uh, that, it, that it doesn't surprise me that they send them to these particular schools at all, where they get that kind of uh, indoctrination. But we'll go to, there's Kyle now from Connecticut. So you're there, Kyle. Alan, I got an idea for these farmers. How about they sue Monsanto for contaminating their crops? Uh, oh, I know, I know, I know. Um, I think they've countersued what one guy in Canada that tried that. But the highest court in the land literally would give them no leeway whatsoever. And as I say, in fact, that was the, the judge who, who declared national the president now uh, for the whole case. Um, he said that I don't give the bird poops on your land and, and lays the, the seed that's on your land and you're guilty of having uh, that in your, your possession and that's all there was to it. You can't counter so. I mean, Monsanto yeah. literally has a private army that goes around all these different farms or nearby uh, and in their, their beds and uh, they, they, they literally have incredible powers and the law, the law offices leave them alone, you know. So that tells you there's more to this whole setup than just a private company. Uh, they have CIA protection, and, and they've got that protection from the highest courts in the land. And they got the market cornered on Roundup, too. Yes, they do. Yeah. 
But most of these GM crops are produced by only uh, three countries, I, I believe, uh, U.S., Argentina, and Brazil. Yes. And, uh, you know, once they industrialize uh, the farms in China... Uh, They've already done it. So they're, they're sending off GM-modified rice across the world now from China. A boatload went into New Zealand, and it was supposed to be GM-free, GMO-free, and they tested it, and 60% of it was actually modified. And it's from China. Disgusting. Yeah. I, I have a documentary I, I recommend people see. It's uh, Bigger, Better, Stronger, The Side Effects of Being American. Yes. Yeah. And it, it goes into, you know, uh, the, the military, the Air Force being, you know, forced to use go pills, uh, amphetamines. Yes. And uh, God knows what other shots you get mm -hmm. when you're in there. Oh, really? they're whacked out their minds. Whacked yeah. out their minds, yeah. yeah. And so are the Canadian troops, too. A documentary special done uh, a couple, two or three years ago uh, showed you, and, and then these are troops that were talking to the cameraman. Uh, one of the guys literally said that he was over in Somalia. They're on this experimental uh, drug that was supposed to stop malaria. Uh, France had barred it, banned it, the use of it, and other countries banned it, but the, the Canadian troops were the guinea pigs. And he said his entire time there, he was hallucinating. He was drawing his pistol out, putting to the heads of children, and laughing his head off about it. Uh, and he, had, he, he said he couldn't believe it. it was, he, he was walking through the colors of the rainbow every day, complete hallucinations. And most of the troops were the same. Yeah. Scary, eh? Scary. scary. It's utterly scary what they do to them. So when you put that uniform on, they can do to you whatever they want, and they do. And they're giving them pills over in Iraq. I've talked to some of the U.S. troops, and they're not even allowed to ask what they are. And the, the sergeants make sure that they swallow them. So it's some kind of test that's going on. But thanks for calling. And from Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, it's very, very rainy here right now. I think it's a repeat of last year with weather warfare. It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.